Well, welcome to week two of No Regerts. Before we jump in, I uh, want to take a moment and I want to invite you to help me do something. We're going to celebrate uh, something very important. Uh, all of our locations are going to celebrate together. Uh, I'm only going to have the privilege of getting on video uh, the Lufkin location response, uh, but I believe it is so important to give honor where honor is due. And um, today, uh, across town in the Lufkin area, uh, a pastor, John Green, after 51 years of faithful ministry at the same church, is preaching his final sermon and passing the baton to the next senior pastor. And I, I think that many times people believe that churches are in competition with each other, and that is exactly what the enemy would want us to think. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the most important prayers that Jesus prayed was at the Last Supper, and he said, I pray that they would be one. And so if that's one of the most important prayers, one of the most important ploys of the enemy is to divide us. Uh, we are not in competition with other churches. We're in competition with ESPN and mowing the lawn on Sunday and like, you know, getting the, the honeydew list done. And we're in competition with the enemy of darkness. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against that. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus wants to build. And so uh, all of our locations are going to participate. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to record a quick video uh, congratulating Pastor John and Catherine on 51 years of ministry. And uh, when it comes to your part, I'm going to turn the selfie video like this, and I'm inviting you to stand and give your best honor and applause uh, to 51 years of faithful pastoral ministry in the same place. Are you ready? I see you putting your coffees down, getting ready already. It's like, okay, I guess I got to get going here. Are you ready? So, so follow my lead, and when I, when I turn to you guys, we're going to give it up. Okay. Are you ready? So, so, so here we go. <clears throat> Just kidding. <laughs> Pastor John and Catherine, give it up everybody. <laughs> Pastor John and Catherine, we want to say thank you. Uh, the same kind of obedience in, the long, in a long direction, uh, the faithfulness of ministry of, uh, to people, uh, to see so many people come into heaven because of you sharing the gospel for 51 years. Uh, we celebrate your ministry, we celebrate Harmony Hill, and we do know that great things are ahead, not only for you, uh, but also for the church, and we can't wait to see what God does next. And so to give honor to whom honor is due, we say thank you for being an incredible example of integrity, uh, an example of sharing the gospel, a, a biblically-based preacher. Uh, you are an example to so many pastors, uh, especially an example to me. And so from Timber Creek Church, from Janet and I, and all of our church family here to you and Harmony Hill, uh, the best is yet to come. We love you. And one more time, church family, congratulations. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, I also want to celebrate for a moment. Uh, joining us is our Groves campus. And uh, last week was the first week them joining us live. So glad to have you guys. And what I want to say to Groves and say to everybody so you understand, we're really in the build phase. Like, uh, we, we have taken down all the signs. There are no signs out front. It's kind of like we've shut down the restaurant. We're training up the wait staff. Like, if you're there right now, we consider you potential wait staff. Like, we're excited to, like, get out there and figure out how to train up an army of dream teamers, an army of life changers. And when the time is right, we will start the public phase and we'll get out there and we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus to that community. We already have people from our Timber Creek family that have gotten jobs specifically in the Groves area to move and be a part of the launch team. That's crazy! 
And you guys also got to celebrate that even though we're in build phase, on their first Sunday back, uh, joining us uh, through video venue, we had 65 in attendance and six salvations at the Groves campus last week. What? People just driving by the Groves campus, no signs out saying, I wonder what's going on in there. Let's go check it out. And we had guests and salvations and kids and God is up to something. God is, and you know what? I want to tell you, God is up to something, everybody. Uh, You've been maybe hearing reports about a move of God happening, not only at uh, Asbury College, but several different places. And I want you to know that the ingredient is not a specific kind of worship or a specific kind of geography. The ingredient for true revival is hunger and humility before God. A, 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 a choosing of us to humble ourselves before the incredible holiness of a, of, of a wonderful, loving God. And I'm inviting you to let that kind of revival be in your family and in your heart first. As we seek God together, God is going to bring a revival, a harvest of souls and a renewal of holiness and and seeking fully after him. I'm asking that for my own life. I'm inviting that in my own life. I'm inviting you to join me in a a renewal of of, of the aweness, the goodness, the, the bigness, the mighty wonder and holiness of a God who wants to meet you right where you are. Amen, everybody. Well, today, today we continue on in our series, No Regrets. And last week I started with this thought that out of control emotions will never produce God honoring results in your life. That's just the way I am. Yeah, but that's not the way Christ wants you to be. It's not the way, it's not the way you really have been called to live. You, you can rise from that. But not only is it out of control emotions that won't produce God honoring results, out of sight emotions, the things that maybe you think is just the way you are, just kind of the way you were raised. And you may not be realizing that there's some roots of behavior and some attitudes and some actions that, that are, are causing uh, some responses in your life that are unhealthy and maybe even ungodly. And one of our most overlooked, misunderstood, underestimated emotions is the emotion of regret. And as I said last week, everybody's got them. We've got small regrets and we got big regrets. We got regrets that are easy to point out that others can see and, you know, regrets that we're trying to hide. But the goal of this sermon series is not to like how to live with no regrets. That's not the goal. The, the goal is like, how do we lean into the transformative power of Jesus when we feel that emotion of, oh, I wish things were just a little different. If only I would have, if only I could have, if only I, oh, I should have. And last week we really began to characterize four key foundational regrets, and they are there in your notes. They are boldness regrets that say, if only I'd just taken that chance and, and asked her out. You know what I mean? Like, if only I'd taken the chance and stood up for what was right. If only I'd taken the chance and, and did with a little bit of less so that I could have been saving a little bit more boldness regrets. Next week, we'll talk about the antidote, the biblical antidote for boldness regrets. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about connection regrets. Oh, if only I'd reached out. This has to do with a lot of relational realities in our lives and and how many times on deathbeds, there are are not a lot of things like, oh man, I wish I would have memorized the Constitution of the United States. Many people aren't saying that. They're saying, I wish I would have forgiven. I wish I wouldn't have held that grudge. I wish I would have picked up the phone a little bit more. I wish I would have put the most important people, friends, there are only a certain amount of people that are gonna sit at the front row of your funeral. And how often do we focus on so many other things? Connection regrets. 
We've had foundation regrets. If only I'd put in the work, if only I'd done the work. And last week was really the, the sermon for foundation regrets that God has done the work for us. God has built the foundation for us that if we will build our houses on a firm foundation of hearing the word and doing the word and leaning not on our own understanding and not on our only if only shoulda, coulda, wouldas, but if we will truly lean on the power and the promise and the presence of Jesus, we yield to that. He makes our paths straight. Today, we're going to be talking about, you can fill in the blank, moral regrets. Moral regrets. And moral regrets answer kind of the question or this if only of, oh, if only I'd done the right thing. Even the apostle Paul dealt with this. He said, do you ever deal, in his own words, he says, do you ever deal with like, you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it. You know what you ought not to do, but you do the different thing. All of us have those realities of, if only I'd done the right thing. And beyond just being a good person, it's if only I'd done the, the godly thing, the, the Christ-honoring thing. And throughout scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, I'm so thankful that the Bible hasn't been tidied up for us. It's not sanitized and put into a steamer and, and, and cleansed and then given to us kind of with a blank slate, like all kinds of dysfunctional people in the Bible. I love it because it, I can relate to some dysfunctional people. Think about Jesus and the team he built. He could have chosen anybody in Galilee, anybody in Nazareth, and he chooses some dysfunctional people. Why was Jesus' disciples so dysfunctional? One guy doubted. One guy was, you know, a roughneck sailor, like off the deadliest catch. A couple of guys were like, can I sit next to you in heaven? No, can I sit next to you? My mom wants to know which one of us is going to sit next to you in heaven. Like there was all kinds of stuff dealing with this. Why, why did Jesus choose dysfunctional people? Because that's all he had to choose from. That's all he had. He, there was like no like perfect people. So he had to deal with the, the realities of real imperfect people. And from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible to 2023, we're going to deal with some moral regrets. You know, there's a particular book in the Old Testament and it's named Judges. And it's not like what you would think of like Judge Judy or like the Supreme Court Judges. Judges was a word that really meant when it's translated in the original language, saviors. The nation of Israel had no king. God wanted to be their king. God wanted to be their final authority, but they wanted to do whatever was right in their own eyes. Sound familiar to culture? Sound familiar? Like we just want to do what's right in our own eyes as long as, as, long, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, as long as I'm just doing what I want to do. I mean, I love God, but, but I'm going to kind of do things the way I see. Can I ask you a question? Is the God you serve allowed to tell you no? Is the God you're serving allowed to tell you no? Because if the God you're serving isn't allowed to tell you no, he's not really God. And so often we, we need a savior because we're like that nation of Israel drifting into our own cultural realities, our own desires, whatever looks right to us, but in the end can lead to death. There's about eight saviors that come and go through this entire book of Judges, and one that we're going to focus on that, honestly, they were anointed as a savior, but they were kind of like, you know, a terrible one. And I'm talking about Samson. His name means Sonny. Sonny. We're going to talk about Sonny today. And I mean, Samson was known as this strong man, like physical strength like Rambo, Spiritual strength like <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. And what was it? What was the, you know, I mean, like a, 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 Superman had his kryptonite. What was Samson's kryptonite? Samson's kryptonite was the exact same kryptonite that Sally deals with. 
the same kryptonite of Stephen and Sam and Jeremy. We all have everyday kryptonite. And what I want to do today is just invite you into not all of them because we just don't have the time. But I want to unpack three key kryptonites in all of us that if left unchecked in our lives will weaken our lives and leave us spiritually anemic in this culture. Ultimately, what I want you to know is you don't have to live that way. You, you don't have to live shoulda, woulda, coulda. You don't have to live in the rear view. You don't have to live being identified or leaning on or frustrated with your moral regrets. Though your junk be like crimson, your sin be like crimson, he can wash it white as snow. And these everyday kryptonites that Samson dealt with, you and I deal with too. So if you're taking notes, I'm gonna just give you three of them. Here's the first one. The first thing that weakens our life and it weakened the life of Samson, here it is. Self-indulgence weakens my life. Self-indulgence weakens my life. There are some great things that we get to experience in life. There's some good things, important things, um, like, I mean, absolute things we must experience. Let me give you a couple. Water. Water's a good thing. My grandma used to say, water's lovely just to drink. That's what she'd say. When we'd ask for a Coke, water's lovely just to drink. And I mean, water is lovely just to drink. But guess what? You can drown in water. Too much water, you gonna die. <laughs> Food, good thing, great thing. Too much cheesecake, uh-uh. Okay, I mean, hey, look. Power, money, sex, it's all good. It's all good. Power's an important thing. Money is an important thing. The love of it can be the root of all evil, but money's not evil. Money's like a brick. You can build a house with it. You can throw it through a brick, you know, a plate glass window. Like money has no spiritual value, but it can absolutely become a God in your life when it's, when we indulge in it. Sex made for identification, procreation, recreation within the confines of one man and one woman for life and marriage. And here's the deal with Samson. Here's the deal with Samson. Three chapters out of the entire chapters of the Bible, three chapters we hear about Samson, and in three chapters, three women. He was busy. <laughs> he was self-indulgent in a lot of things. His own way was gonna be the final way, even though from a very young age, his mom, who was visited by an angel, she was barren in her womb. The angel said, and we see now, when the angel is given a name, he says, I am. So really what this is, is a, it's called a pre-incarnate theophany. That's, that's kind of, you know, churchy language for before the flesh, it was a visitation of Jesus himself. And Jesus visits this mom and says, you're going to give birth and he's going to take a Nazarite vow and you're going to set him apart. And he's going to be important in this whole scheme of things. And Samson grows up in that. And yet he deals with self-indulgence. Here was the issue. Here's what, here's what, um, here's kind of the excuse Samson would make. You can write it down somewhere. It's not in your fill in the blanks, but just this once, just this once. And throughout his three chapters of infamy, he just kind of lives his own life and just this once becomes the rule of his life. And we see this self-indulgence in several different places. Look at it in Judges chapter 14. Samson is a grown adult now and he went down to Timnah. He saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Like, go get her for me. If that was me talking to my dad, he'd be saying like, you want your teeth in your mouth or in your pocket? Like, you don't talk to me like that. Go get her for me. But like, I mean, you gotta think Samson is like Bam Bam, you know? He's like, go get her for me. You know, like, now, 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 go get her for me. And his father and mother replied, Sammy, 
Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own people? Like, must you go to the Philistines to get a, get a wife? You're supposed to really be separated. And Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. Now, in the original language, he doesn't say she's the right one. Here's what he says in the original language. She's pleasurable for me. She's pleasurable for me. This is something that I want, that I feel like I deserve. She's pleasurable for me. Pleasure, nothing inherently sinful or wrong with pleasure. But pleasure taken to an extreme can become deadly and sinful. It's not in your notes. You may want to write it down. Decisions based on pleasure over principles usually lead to pain. When I make decisions that are based on my pleasure over the principle, over what God has called me to become, his character, his convictions, his conduct, when I base something on I deserve just this once, I mean, I have been faithful. Like I, I mean, Samson had like these rules that he was following, kind of, and he's like, I, I kind of deserve this, don't I? Scripture says in Galatians, the apostle Paul, don't be misled now. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. You can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop he sows. And if you and I are sowing in self-indulgence over and over again, you, you, you will experience a a crop that will lead to pain. And we'll see that in the life of Samson in these three short chapters. Listen, a Jekyll and Hyde life will produce a Jekyll and Hyde result. If he sows to please his own wrong desire, he'll be planting seeds of evil and he will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. In another scripture in 1 Peter, Peter says, strengthen yourselves then with Christ's way of thinking. See, Samson was supernaturally strengthened. God wants to supernaturally strengthen you. Way, way beyond the reps in the gym. Way beyond any kind of physical strength. Like what's, what's a beautiful thing that God gives to us in the fruit of the spirit is a strengthening in the way that we think Christ's way of thinking be transformed not by just p90x be transformed by the renewing of your mind the way you think about stuff and Peter goes on to say live your lives controlled by God's will not by human desires look we all have desires we all have these urges, we all have glands, we all have hormones, we all have uh, uh, things that we uh, may be the bait for us that may not be the bait for your neighbor, and there are desires that can go haywire. So if self-indulgence weakens my life, if I want to live with less regrets, I got to discipline my desires. I've got, I've got to do a little inventory. Hey, is there anything you desire more than you should? Just want you to think about it. Now, how quickly can we say, oh, I can tell you what my spouse desires more than they should. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'll just make the list. But many times it's very easy for us to see the speck or the sawdust in our spouse's eye and we have got a sequoia tree we're dragging out of our own eye. Our own desires, our own desires to be right, our own desires to be fulfilled in this way or that way or the other way, our own desires to, to just like, you know, just this once. And we have to discipline our desires. Nobody just wakes up at 13 years old. My son, you know, as many wonderful things he's said, he's never woken up in the morning on a Saturday, come to our bedroom and said, can I wake you? Can I just talk to you guys for a second? I just, will you, will you guys just discipline me? Like, no, no. Discipline's never fun in the moment, but if we'll discipline our desires, we can live not with no regrets, but with less regrets and lean into the transformative power of Jesus. You with me so far? All right. Number two, resentment weakens my life. Resentment 
to hold the grudge, to, to want to get even, to <clears throat> justify our frustrations. Here's the deal, three chapters, and Sammy, a savior, the ju- one of the judges for the nation of Israel, he is constantly angry and frustrated. He's just constantly ticked off. Uh, he's the kind of guy, though, that also, like, he will one-up you. Have you, <laughs> you ever had a friend that you tell a story about a fish, and then they tell the story about the fish? Or you do something to them, and then they do something to you, you know? It's like you toilet paper their house, and they slash your tires. Like, what? That's not like an even trade. This is Samson's life. Like, he's just kind of always angry and frustrated, and we can see that uh, look at some of the things he says in Judges 15. Samson said to them, he's talking about the, the enemies, uh, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines and I'm gonna really harm them. You know why he's saying this? Because he had made a bet with these Philistines. He said, if you can, if you can uh, guess the answer to my riddle, uh, I'll give you guys uh, s- some cool track suits and, uh, uh, and some tennis shoes and uh, I'm gonna take care of every one of you. I'm gonna give you a wardrobe, basically, is what he says. And uh, they can't guess it. He gives this riddle. Well, he tells his fiance, he tells his, his, his fiance uh, the, the answer to the riddle and because she's a Philistine and the other Philistines come up, they, they want her to be loyal to them and so she gives the answer to these Philistines and, and he has to like get all of these clothes, you know, all these Adidas track suits to all these guys and he's ticked off and when he goes to them, he says, you've been plowing with my heifer. Now, guys, listen. Can I just encourage you that when you talk about your wife, you, you might not want to use plowing with my heifer as kind of the vernacular. Okay, okay. Learn from Sammy, okay? He says, you've been plowing with my heifer. And he's all ticked off. He's like, I have a right to get even with them. And since you've acted like this, I'm not going to stop until I get my revenge. Here's what else he says. I merely did what they did to me. So they get the answer to this riddle. And because he's ticked off about it, here's what he does. He goes and catches 200, 300 foxes and he ties the foxes together by the tail. And in the middle of the tail, he puts a torch and he lights the torch on fire. It's the very first, uh, what we get with tail lights. And, and <laughs> dumb, dumb, dad joke, sorry, okay. And what he does is he lets these foxes loose in, in all of the, uh, uh, of the crops of the Philistines. So like they get an answer to a riddle. He's ticked off so he burns the nation down. Resentment will weaken your life. So many excuses that we make to just get that last little word in at the top of our thumbs. For us to be critical behind the screen or behind their back, very rarely to their face. Like resentment. It's a nasty, nasty disease that if you're not careful, can be left unchecked. You can live anointed. You can be a Christ follower having surrendered, bowed a knee to Christ, and yet these things can suck the spiritual strength out of you. Samson was anointed by God, but he let these things overtake. In other words, his character would not keep him where the calling of God wanted to take him. His convictions and conduct and character would not keep him where the calling of God wanted to place him. Job reminds us this. I mean, Job dealt with some junk in life. If anybody could have been resentful, it was Job who lost everything in a matter of moments to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. It'd just be foolish and senseless. So can you do a little inventory for a moment? 
Is there any resentment in our hearts? I don't, I, I don't think so. Can you think of anybody that when you see them in Walmart quickly, like your buggy or your cart automatically gets like its own mind and you like, I'm not going to talk to them. Like hey, you see anybody, you go to the family reunion or you see somebody at work, you see, you happen to bump into somebody at the post office or at, at Target and, and you're like, ugh, ugh. If left unchecked, it can take you down the same path. It's one of the strongest men who ever lived. Number three. No, no, pardon me. Number two. So if resentment weakens my life, if resentment weakens my life, and it does, to live with less regret, I got to restrain and retrain my reactions. I got to restrain you don't need to always get that. You don't always need to say what you feel like you need to say. Say what you need to say. No, don't. Don't. Like be quick to listen and slow to speak. Okay? Do you know why? Like listen, you know why God gave us love bugs in East Texas? So a lot of us is we just shut our mouths. Just shut up. You know? Restrain yourself. Retrain yourself. Retrain. And many times you've trained yourself to give yourself an excuse of that's just the way I am. Or I wouldn't be like that if they didn't do that or if they would just, and all of a sudden it's all them, 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 them. And I don't take any responsibility for my own reactions, my own lack of restraint. You got to retrain. Okay. And I know some of you, how many of you would say, how many of you would say, yeah, pastor, I'm trying. I'm trying, honestly, like I, I'm trying. Anybody say that? I'm trying. Because it's resentment stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. Can I, can I give you one more piece of advice though? Stop trying. And I'm looking in the mirror. I know some of you are hesitant to even raise your hand like he's going to get me. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna flip it around. Stop trying. And here's what you got to do. Stop trying, start training. You got to retrain. Look what the apostle says in 1 Corinthians. Don't you realize that in race, everyone runs? Like everybody's running. Everybody's dealing with resentment. Everybody's dealing with self-indulgence. Everybody's running, but only one person gets the prize. So you got to run to win. You do not run to win when you're just trying when you're just trying, you are not running to win. Trying is like, I'm probably going to fail anyway. And it gives ourselves an out when we don't accomplish what we need to accomplish. The rest of this scripture shows us the antidote. All athletes are disciplined in their what? In their training, not their trying. So we can try all we want. But it's time to be trainers to train ourselves, to restrain, to not, to not feel like, to humble ourselves, to let God truly be the one that is the final authority in what we say and how we live. All right, number three, we've talked about self-indulgence, resentment. I could give you nine of them today, but here's the third one. Carelessness weakens my life. A caring less. Where we start and we care and we begin to be like sheep go astray. We all drift. We drift. We start the year strong, going to save that money, going to get in the gym, going to lose that weight, going to save that money by switching to the general. Get online, go to the general and save some time. And a couple weeks later, like crickets at the gym, wondering where, man, I got more month left at the end of the money. <laughs> because we can become careless in all kinds of things. Samson grew up with a Nazarite vow, Jesus visited his mom and said, he's not to drink any alcohol. 
He's not to touch anything dead. You do not cut his hair. So his hair is long and flowing and full. And, and he says, this is the vow he makes. <clears throat> I want you to do not let a razor hit his head. And yet Samson got careless. He began to, he was touching dead animals before you knew it. He was drinking it up before you knew it. And we see his demise begin to unfold with those beautiful locks. Let me ask you about carelessness. Last night, we were sitting with some friends and we were having a, a very healthy discussion. And, and this was the question that we were talking about. Am I paying attention to what I've been paying attention? I grew up where like if you watch the Smurfs, like, like that was basically the gateway drug to heroin. I mean, that was, you, you might as well, you might as well, oh, Harry Potter, oh dear God, you might as well just be like killing chickens and dripping the blood all over your house. I mean, like, and even though the pendulum was swung pretty intense, usually, the next generation, what one generation like um, pushes against, another generation tolerates, and then the next generation embraces. And what can happen is we, put, we push back against kind of the goofiness of a Smurfs, and then all of a sudden we let this license of all kinds of things into our minds and into our hearts. You know, I mean, if I wasn't listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman saddle up his horses and I by chance had a little bit of Garth Brooks on, you might as well, like, I almost split hell wide open. <laughs> I was like, I got friends in low places, Dad. <laughs> but the question is, when's the last time you paid attention to what you've been paying attention When's the last time, parents, you, you really took a moment to unpack the lyrics that so easily glide across the radio waves on the way to school that just, they just, it's like we don't want to be fuddy-duddy. But if we're not careful, we get careless. And it'll weaken our lives. It'll weaken the lives of our children. We had such strong boundaries that then we push against boundaries, but like boundaries are beautiful. Boundaries like keep me from going off the edge of the mountain. I know kids don't like boundaries. I, I, I know they don't, but you, but, you, you don't, but you don't like boundaries either, but yet you love boundaries. You love, don't you tell me what I can't do. Don't you tell me, but yet you love boundaries when you're going through Colorado and you got a guardrail on the side of the mountain. Nobody's going like, let me live my own life. Can't believe the state's telling me where I can and cannot drive my car. No, you love that guardrail. And I'm inviting us back to like just an investigation. Have we gotten a little careless with our guardrails, everybody? Have we gotten a little careless with our guardrails in the language, in what we say and what we don't say? I, I, I think I, 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 I have gotten a little careless in some things. And I think God is inviting me to evaluate that and not live in condemnation, but to live in his grace and his truth and to re, reconfigure, to become more careful instead of careless. Carelessness weakens my life. So if that's the deal, to live with less regret, I gotta keep my commitments. And Samson couldn't keep his commitments. And it was a slow fade. It was just, you know, I'll just do what I want and I'll fix it eventually. Would you write it down? Nobody falls off the cliff of character overnight. It's a slow fade. And for Samson, it was a process that finally got him killed. 
Samson's excuse and all of this was basically, it'll be different for me, I'm anointed. It'll be different for me, I'm, I'm God's chosen. It'll be different for me, I'm strong, baby. It'll be different for me. And so three chapters, three women, he gets to the third woman, Delilah. And Delilah and him, they fall in love and they're hanging out and she behind the scenes is paid by the Philistines $25,000 to learn the secret of his strength. And so they're hanging out. She puts the record on and she, she's dimming the lights and she brings him a, a, you know, a, a glass of whatever bubbly and she sits down next to him and putting his, her hands through his hair. Sammy. What makes you so strong, you strong, strongington, strong boy? Tell me. And then she takes a selfie of them together and she pouts her lips. And Samson's not too quick, but it's going to be a fade. The first time he says, you know what it is? You know bow and arrows? If you'll take the, the string of a bow, seven of them, and you tie me up with them, I lose my strength. So she gets him nice and sauced up and he takes a big old nap on the couch. She goes to the bow. She, she starts cutting bow strings off. She's tying the sucker up. She goes over and she texts the Philistines ninjas that are in the other room. They go through the door with the spears and the swords and, 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 and uh, they say, we got you, Samson. He wakes up and it's like, He's like grabbing him through the window. And she's like, huh? he's like, where'd these bows come from? She's like, I don't, I don't know. Now fool me once, okay. They go back to the couch. Sammy, what is the secret of your strength? What's the streak? What's, what's the secret of your strength, Sammy. He says, well, if it's new ropes, it doesn't have to be bows, but if it's just new ropes, you tie me with new ropes. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he's tied down by new ropes. Now you would think like, dude, like Sammy in, he's strong, but he ain't the brightest bulb, everybody. Like he's like waking up, he's like, oh, what's up, bro? Protein shake. Like, I mean, he's just like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Elevator don't go all the way up to the top floor. But he snaps through the ropes, defeats the Philistines again. Third time he says, if you braid my hair, if you just like put some braids in this beautiful mane, he wakes up. He looks like Bob Marley. <laughs> but he defeats the Philistines one more time. And like... He just keeps talking to the light. Student, listen to me, teenagers. Listen to me, singles. Oh, listen to me, marrieds. Listen to me. L listen. L l l l l listen, Linda. Just listen, Linda. <laughs> you are never just talking. You're never just talking. You're never just talking. Do you know one of the most intimate things you can do is talk? Communication is the bridge to one flesh in a marriage. As much as sexual intimacy is important, intimacy in our deepest thoughts, our hearts, and when you're just talking, you ain't just talking. There, there is a, there's an integration of hearts, an intimacy, a, 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 a gathering together of your hearts when you're just talking. Delilah turns it on. After the third, she goes, she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't even confide in me? He's like, because you keep on like trying to kill me, but you're just so hot. Apparently, Delilah must have been a looker. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't even told me the secret of your great strength. I don't even know, I don't even know you. I don't even know what we're doing here. What is this? What are we doing here? I love this next verse. I love this next verse. With such nagging, she prodded him day 
after day until he was tired to death. Some of you are like, that's my marriage verse right there. And I love the next part. So he told her everything. Fine! Fine! Okay! He said, if you cut my hair, I'm done. If you cut my hair, I'm done. And the fourth time he wakes up, his hair is cut. And he's taken prisoner. In fact, the scripture says it like this. The Philistines seized him. They gorged his eyes out. They took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. And they set him to grinding in the prison. Bandages over his eyes, the strong man, the champion has become a clown, eking away the rest of his life, pushing the grinder in the grindstone. I wonder if when he finally hit the bottom, if he thought to himself, how did I get here? Oh, if only I would have done the right thing. His character could not keep him where the calling wanted to take him. So as we wrap up today, I want to offer you three questions. The first is this. What's the weak link in my life? When it comes to any kind of self-indulgence or resentment or carelessness, could you do this? Could you put a red, green, or yellow, an R, a G, or a Y with these? Are these, is it, are you a green? Like, it's okay. I'm not really self-indulgent. Resentment, no, I'm, I'm, I'm green. Or, or could there be a red, a red light here? Could there be a yellow light that could be turning red soon, if not taken care of? Here's the second question. When am I going to do something about it? Samson's story doesn't end in the prison. They want to make him a spectacle. They want to make him the center ring clown show. They bring him into a huge party. And he places his hands between two pillars and he cries out to God. And his final act is suicide. He pushes the pillars in this grand ballroom and it creates a domino effect and the entire room caves in on all these Philistines and he conquers, so to speak, the enemy. But what are you gonna do about it? Can I just say, can I just, I want to, I wanna challenge you and I also wanna get you off the hook. There's only so much I can do. You can bite your bottom lip till you bleed. But I wanna draw you back to what Jesus wants to show us. He doesn't just wanna show us Samson, he wants to show himself to us. See, when it comes to Samson and Jesus, both were the result of a supernatural birth. Both were anointed to be a savior. But Jesus is the better hero. <laughs> because Samson was a terrible savior. He was imperfect and inconsistent. Jesus is the perfect savior. Samson was strong but arrogant. Jesus is strong but gentle and humble and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Samson was captured against his will as one of the saviors of Israel and yet Jesus gave himself up willingly. Samson would give his life to kill his enemies and Jesus gives his life to forgive his enemies. 
So the final question, like what is God's response to my wrong choices and weaknesses? It is, it has been, it will always be Jesus. It won't be you biting your bottom lip. It won't be that little extra ump of five hour energy. It won't be you getting all your spiritual ducks in a row and you learning that extra scripture and you memorizing that thing and you keeping your spiritual nose clean. It's got to come to the fact that you are not strong enough ever without him. And that through all of this, even at the end of Samson's life, when he basically put a middle finger up to God the whole time, God still chose him. And he still chooses me. As many times as I've cold-shouldered Jesus, he still chooses me. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, he chose you. And he gives us his strength. See, he's a better Samson. And you can live better than Samson lived because the anointing that he was, wants to give to you is not based on a Nazarite covenant or a Nazarite vow, but a vow from the son of the living God himself that I will never leave you or forsake you, that my strength is perfect in your weakness. So when you figure out you are weak, that's when you actually, it's a paradigm shift. That's when I can become strong when I recognize I just never will be strong enough. All of our locations, will you close your eyes and pray with me? Oh, lean into Jesus today. Lean into what he can do and what he's done. Don't make it about yourself this morning. Don't make it about trying to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Is there faith without works that is dead? Yeah, yeah like you, gotta, you gotta put some work in. But the biggest work you could put in today is recognizing that he's the one where your strength comes from. Can you just invite his strength into your life today? Can you invite his forgiveness? to be the kind of forgiveness you offer? Can you invite his self-sacrifice and self-surrender to infiltrate our self-indulgence? Can you invite his carefulness that if his eye is on the sparrow, how much is he careful to have his eye on you that in our carelessness, he is so careful to even number the hair on our head? Oh, he's a beautiful savior, everybody. He'll meet you right where you are. So lean into him today. Let him be the perfect savior today. We ask it in Jesus' name.